All right, John 4, here we go. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So let's wrap our head around a little bit the uh, geography of Israel. Okay, so Judea is north or south? Israel. South. Okay, on the south side. And Galilee is where? It's in the north, okay? So the Sea of Galilee is up in the north, okay? And so he's going there. And verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria is right between them, okay? He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty Again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you know, what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So go ahead, turn to your neighbor, and think about this. How are Jesus' interactions with this woman a wonderful example in how to do evangelism? Try to make three observations. Go. All right. So I've got a, uh, a little map on there for you guys to, to kind of get your bearings here. So this is Israel. Called Palestine in Jesus' day. Palestine is the, the name that the Romans gave it. Um, so Judah would be down here. This is Jerusalem is the star there, so Judah's kind of down in this region. Galilee, this is the Sea of Galilee, this is the Dead Sea. Galilee's up here, Samaria is right between the two of them, okay? So that's, that's kind of the, the lay of the land. He's coming from Judah, going to Galilee, has to pass through Samaria, okay? So what do you observe about Jesus so far? What do you guys think? What do we got? He likes traveling. I mean, he has got the travel bug, doesn't he? He really just wants to get around. Do you think that's why he's moving? Maybe. Would, just, to, just, to, just to see some parts of Israel he hasn't seen? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, we'll save that for another day. But there, there is something here about, you know, the Pharisees learned Jesus was making a lot of disciples and that's one of the reasons he leaves. So we have to think, why is he doing it? Is he afraid of the Pharisees? Is it not just his time to be captured yet? What, what is it that's making him leave? But specifically on this question, how are Jesus' interactions with this woman a wonderful example of how to do evangelism? What do we, what do we see there? Yeah, Doug. I think there's probably some like God-appointed divineness in that because it sounds like Jesus was just on his way through Samaria and it was noon and he was thirsty and yet there's this interesting little word that's in the Greek it's called it's D-E-I day and it means it is necessary for me to do this it's called the divine imperative it's, it's oh, too too much grammar here but um, it's typically used when God it's to convey that there's like a God-given impulsion to do something. Like, it's necessary. I have to do this. So at the beginning of this passage, um, it says, he, when it says verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria, that word is in there. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria, which just makes you think, is John saying there was a, like, Jesus knew, he had, the Holy Spirit was telling him, you got to go this way. There's something for you on this trip that you got to do, right? Very interesting. Yes? Most Jews would have gone around, right? 
Well, I, I did some research into that, and that is what we people tend to say when they teach on this sermon. Ask my wife. Uh, okay. Well, I asked D.A. Carson, and he, um, he said that there isn't substantial evidence that, that people would necessarily have to do that, that, that Jews did pass through Samaria. Yeah. Right, so Jesus is totally breaking social norms. He's talking to someone that normally wouldn't be talked to. Good. What other things do we notice about how he does this conversation? Yeah. He definitely had something to tell her, didn't he? Like, he wanted her to know something, and he wanted to communicate it to her. Um, so that's good, definitely. Did I get at what you were saying, Elijah, or did I miss it? Yeah, okay. Good. Yes? He, he knew he had what she needed. But before he offered that, he asked her for something. Yeah, so he knew that he had what she needed, but he initiates the conversation not by saying, hey, let me tell you what you need, but by saying, give me a drink when he's going to go on to tell her that he has living water. Kind of a good way to get into that, right? What other observations do you guys make? There's got to be more out there. I said to make three. Yep. When he talks about her situation with her husband, he doesn't, I don't know, like he addresses the need to a savior by doing that, but he's not, like, he doesn't outright judge her. Right. He doesn't, you don't see him go, ugh. You know, you have all these men in your life. You're currently, I mean, what he's telling us here is you're currently living with a man that you're not married with. Um, Jesus knew the law. He knew the Old Testament. He knew how God feels about divorce and, and not living in a marriage. And even knowing all of that, he sat with this woman. And all he says to her is, yeah, what you've said is true. And then he goes on to tell her that he has what she needs, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's a lot here. There's a lot more here even than that. Just to think about how we respond to people who need the gospel yet are very different from us, even potentially our enemies, right? So I, even this morning, I, I sensed it where I was, you know, flipping on Facebook before I, you know, uh, got going this morning. And one of my relatives who, you know, supposedly I love dearly, <laughs> um, posts on Facebook, it's my birthday, and for my birthday, if you would like to do anything, I would love for you to donate towards this organization, and the organization was Planned Parenthood, um, which is responsible for lots and lots of abortions, um, and my response wasn't compassion. It was how, you know, and just anger at how far different we are from one another, Right? And yet I see Jesus interact with this woman who is very, very different from him and living a lifestyle that's very different than what she ought to be and just how soft and compassionate he is with her. Okay, So I just think it's a sweet, sweet picture for us to start. So I gave you that assignment so you can just kind of start by focusing on the passage, looking through it yourself. But let's walk through the passage and then um, we'll get to some questions at the end. So 
1 through 7, we read that Jesus uh, is leaving Judea, going through Samaria. It's the middle of the day. We know that because it says it was the sixth hour. And if you're in the Bible and you're wondering what time it is, they start in the morning and they start counting, okay? So if you imagine the sun goes up around 6 a.m., 6 a.m., sixth hour, six hours later would be noon, okay? So it is the hottest part of the day. And what does it tell us? But that Jesus is wearied, tired, and he's thirsty, and he sits down by a well, and here comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Samaria, okay? So why, why do Jews not have dealings with Samaritans, as, as the ESV says here? The reason is because if you guys know your history of Israel, there was a long history before God sent Israel into exile. He had foreign nations come in and punish the Israelites, taking them captive, removing them from the land. And in 722 BC, Assyria captured Samaria, the northern kingdom is what it was called kind of in the Kings and Chronicles. And they took all those people to Assyria, right? Which, oh man, Assyria is here. Assyria is up there. Assyria is over here. Took them to Assyria and they left only the poorest people in the land. And then they repopulated Samaria with foreigners. So they sent people who were not Jews, who didn't know God, didn't worship God, into Samaria. And over time, those people intermarried, right? So you've got Jews intermarrying with foreigners. And not only do they bring their different culture, they bring their different religions into the land. So Samaria is this mixture of people who ethnically aren't pure Jews, Okay? They're kind of mixed in with the, the nations, which if you read the Old Testament and how you know, the conquering of the land, they weren't supposed to marry with the other people there. This is kind of a big deal. And then they aren't just worshipers of Yahweh. They've brought in different elements of worship. And so by the time that Jesus gets here, we have this mixture of people who, who don't really aren't Jews and they have a weird religion, and part of the weird religion is they only followed the first five books of the Bible. They only followed the Pentateuch, as it was called, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they said, everything after that, we don't want to have anything to do with it. And then they set up a temple of their own, not in Jerusalem, that's where the real temple was, in Mount Gerizim, in, in Samaria, where they were going to have their temple. So it's kind of got a rival temple going on, They've rejected a lot of God's revelation, and that creates some pretty bad blood. And, and if that's not bad enough, in 400, that's 400 BC, they set up a temple. In 100 BC, a Hasmonean ruler in Judea comes up to Samaria, and he destroys their temple for religious reasons, but that doesn't do much for the relationship, right? So now the Jews have destroyed their temple. And they're going to keep worshiping up there. And what's interesting is actually Samaritans still exist today. You can go on a tour of Israel and you can go to Mount Gerizim and find a Samaritan community that's still there today, still offering sacrifices and still following only the first five books of the Bible. Okay? So there is this just strong dislike of each other between Jews and Samaritans. And so here is a Jewish man, Jesus, and a Samaritan woman. And it's the hottest part of the day, and they're sitting by a well, and she comes out to draw water. That tells you something. Now, if you guys, you know, at school, if you know that there's like 
the group of girls who are kind of mean to you in particular, and they have their patterns of when they all hang out in this area or that area, you know that you don't go to those areas when they're there, right? That's kind of what's happening here. When women would go out, it was their job to draw the water, they would go out in the cool part of the day. Those of you who mow your lawns, you know you don't do it. You know, in the hottest part of the day, you're going to kill yourself. You wait for it to cool down. They went and drew water in the morning or in the evening. So the fact that this woman is coming alone to a well at the hottest part of the day tells us something about her already. Okay? It tells us something about how she's either been ostracized by the community for some reason or that she's so ashamed of who she is that she doesn't want to be around anybody else, okay? And we, we get a glimpse of it later on when Jesus asks her about her husband. So that's kind of the scene that is set here. And so then we move on to the next part, and we start a conversation between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And Jesus begins this conversation in verse 7 with kind of a crazy request. It doesn't sound crazy to us, but it is crazy if we know the situation. Give me a drink. Now, you guys, if, if you've studied, how many of you guys have studied the civil rights movement, okay, in our history of the United States? And you know that there was two water fountains at a lot of places, right? And above one water fountain, it says white. The other fountain, it says colored. It's clear distinction between who can touch what, who can go where, a clear dividing line of races. And, and when it says here for... Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know, the woman says, how is this that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? Actually, the better translation for that, Jews do not have dealings with Samaritans, a better translation of that is that um, Jews do not use the dishes of Samaritans. We don't drink from the same water fountain. It was actually would make you ritually unclean as a Jew if you were to drink out of a Samaritan pot. So she's drawing attention to this. As very clearly, you are a Jew. You, your religion forbids you to drink from my pot. How is it that you would ask me for a drink? So that's just kind of how crazy the situation is. It would be like in early America if a white man, right, not early America, that's, what am I talking about? Uh, a number of years ago, if a white man went and sat by the, the colored water fountain and asked a black woman to fill up a water bottle, her water bottle, so that he could have a drink from it. Okay? That's what Jesus is doing here. And why does he do it? Because he's thirsty, right? Because he's been walking for a long time. I, we shouldn't miss that point. When it says that the eternal creator of the universe became flesh, he really became flesh. The one who created the land and the water, he really was thirsty. He needed water to sustain his physical, real body. But he also has something that he wants to say about water, and this is a way to start that conversation, right? So here's the ensuing conversation. And in the conversation, Jesus is speaking of deep spiritual realities. And as we listen to the woman and how she responds, she just doesn't get it. All she's thinking of is, is the physical equivalent of what he's talking about, right? So they're, they're having this conversation, and Jesus tells her um, that she needs living water. If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you to give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She says, you have nothing to draw water with. Missed the point, right? The well is deep. Where do you get the living water? 
And Jesus tells her, everyone, in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what does she say? Give me the water so I don't have to come to the well anymore and get more water. Okay, so all she can think of is come into the well, get more water, and he's telling her deep spiritual reality. But we want to talk about what exactly is this deep spiritual reality? What is living water? How are we supposed to understand that? Well, in a real physical sense, living water in Judea and Samaria and Galilee is water that is flowing, water that comes out of a spring in the ground, which means it's water that's clean. If you guys have ever watched Man vs. Wild, you know that you don't want to drink stagnant pools of water, right? That's just sitting there. Why? Because that's where bacteria grows. Bacteria grows in water that's just sitting there and it makes you sick and can kill you. But living water is water that is flowing and so things don't grow in it and it's clean and you can drink it. So Jesus is saying that he has living water. But he's saying much more than just that I know where there's a good spring that I can get you some water at. Jesus says that this living water is really special. It quenches your thirst forever unto eternal life. So what we know is that Jesus can't be talking about a magical water spring that he wants to take her to, the fountain of youth. We know that Jesus can't say, there's a really special water that I could get you and you'll never be thirsty again. Because Jesus, the source of living water, the guy who gives living water, how did he start the conversation? Give me a drink, I'm thirsty. So the, the source of living water needs some water, which means... If this was just talking about something physical, he would have already had it. So it's not talking about something physical. So what's going on here? Well, one of the phrases that I want us to keep using as we study John is that John helps us to put our Bibles together. John is continually drawing from things in the Old Testament and saying, and Jesus really, Jesus is drawing from things in the Old Testament and showing that he's the one who came to fulfill all of these promises. So let's look at a couple Old Testament promises here. Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13 says this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So who's speaking here? The Lord, God. And what does he call himself? He is the fountain of living waters. He's the one who gives us water forever that leads to eternal life. If we keep going backwards, actually, to Isaiah 12, 2 through 3, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So we have God. God equals salvation. And there's a prophecy that a day will come when you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then if we, there was another one. Darn it. <laughs> Let's see here. Isaiah 44.3. Let me read it to you real quick. Technology. Gravity. Everything's working against me today. Don't worry. Don't worry. Haley. Haley's working against me. Okay. Isaiah 44.3 says this. 
For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So do you hear that parallelism in that, in that poem? I will pour water on thirsty land, streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So what are we talking about here when we say that Jesus has living water? Well, Jesus is drawing upon this image that one day God would come and pour out living water, and that living water is God. It's God himself. And here in Isaiah, we, we put that connection that it's his spirit. So Jesus says, I have living water, and what he's telling her is this, I have the Holy Spirit, and I can give it to you, and it will be God's spirit inside of you will well up within you and be a continual source of life for you so that you will never thirst. And so the thirst that Jesus is talking about is this thirsting for God, that we all have this thirst for a relationship with God. And Jesus is the one who offers the solution to that relationship by giving the Spirit. He even says in John 6 that the Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That this Spirit is the one that God gives. And when it comes to you, it's this continual well leading to eternal life. And how do we get God's Spirit? By believing in Jesus, right? And what is the point of John? That you might believe in Jesus, right? Okay, so this is all point to it. But the woman, she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what he's offering and how it meets a far deeper need than her need for physical water. And so I want to ask this question real quick. How often are we so much like this woman? That we run around trying to get what we think we need. I need breakfast. I need lunch. I need dinner. I need to make the varsity team. I need to get into a good college. I need a summer job. I need a girlfriend. I need a phone. And we're ignoring what we really need. We really need a relationship with God. We really need his spirit inside of us. We need his spirit to give us life because other things produce death. And we need his spirit to well up in us so that we would have eternal life. We try to fill the hole that only God can fill with other things, and we pursue these things when only the Spirit gives life. So when was the last time you interacted with God's Spirit? So first of all, do you have God's Spirit? Have you received the living water that Jesus offers you? Have you chosen to believe in Jesus and get that well of life in you? If you have not, then you don't have it. It is not something that's just this blanket promise. Jesus is like a whole world. I'm giving you this great gift. Believe and you will get the gift. Don't believe and you don't get the gift. This woman didn't have the gift, did she? But he wants her to have it, so he's telling her about it. And if you do have the gift of God's spirit in you, when was the last time you interacted with it? Do you live your life in dependence on the spirit as actually this is what's going to give me life? Do you, do you seek the Lord in prayer? you Start your day on your knees and say, Lord, you give life. Help me to not chase after X, Y, and Z to get life. Do you interact with God through his word, that God's word, his spirit helps us to understand God's word so that we can have life? Well, knowing she doesn't understand, Jesus draws attention to her need for living water with a question. Here's, or not a question, a statement, either. Go call your husband. He knows that she doesn't get it, so he, he, he gets to the heart of the matter. Go call your husband. Does Jesus know she doesn't have a husband? Yep, we find that out. 
Because all she says, and I don't think she proudly says, I don't have a husband. (laughs) Jesus has just touched on an incredibly shameful element of her life. Yeah, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, which means one of two things. She's either experienced the death of five husbands or she's been divorced five times or some combination of the two. Can you imagine feeling that rejected, that let down? Rather, whether it's God has let me down by letting me have five husbands who are supposed to take care of me die, or five men have said, yeah, I don't think so. To the point where it's not even worth tying the knot anymore. I'm just going to live with this guy. He'll help me have food, give me a, a roof over my head. That's who Jesus is talking to. Is Jesus mean? Is Jesus cruel to say, yeah, I know you don't have a husband? Or is this a crucial step in helping this woman to realize she needs living water? It's not about the well that we're talking about and and where water comes from. Or we we might ask, does Jesus do this to us? Does Jesus press on that part of our life too? Does his spirit press on that part of our life too where we're trying to be filled up with something else other than him and he says yeah that hurts doesn't it and that's because it's not going to ever satisfy you it's not going to fill you up well then the woman asks him a question she she says i perceive that you're a prophet obviously he just told her this deep dark secret that the whole town knows but Why would this random Jew passing through know it? I perceive that you're a prophet. So what she's going to do is she's going to ask him the humdinger of Jewish and Samaritan religious questions. If you were to say, like, the biggest question between our religion and your religion, which mountain are we supposed to worship on? You guys say Jerusalem, and we say Mount Gerizim. What do you say to that, Jesus? And Jesus' answer is, is shocking. He, he says some things about salvation being from the Jews and whatnot. I think he's referring to the fact that the Jews are the ones who've received all of God's revelation. They've got the whole Bible there. So that's why salvation comes from the Jews, that if you want to know what God says about being saved, Jesus is referencing Isaiah and Jeremiah. These are books that they've rejected. This is why salvation comes from the Jews. But his point is not to say, Jerusalem's the answer. His point is to say, a day is coming and is now here, because I'm here, where true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. It's kind of a weird phrase. But here's what I think it means. Remember how Jesus told Nicodemus that The spirit is like wind and it it blows and it goes wherever it may. And you you don't necessarily see it, but you know, you feel its effects. That's what worship is like now. Now that Jesus has come, worship is not a pilgrimage. So we are not like Muslims. We don't have to go to Mecca in our lifetime to check some box of really worshiping where we're supposed to worship. We don't have to pray towards any direction. Because God is a spirit. And his spirit is inside you. 
if you've believed in Jesus. You have the living water. That is the spirit. So if you want to worship God, he's with you. It doesn't matter if you're in Samaria or Judea or Chicago. So God's spirit doesn't dwell in a temple. It dwells in us. And then she says, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. That Greek word for Messiah is Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus takes the opportunity to say very plainly to her, I'm him. I am telling you everything. I'm telling you exactly what you need to know. Well, the disciples show up and the disciples, uh, there's two responses. The disciples marvel, simply showing that they are a product of their day, saying, Jewish man hanging out with a Samaritan woman at the well. What's going on here, Jesus? But they don't say anything because he's Jesus. The woman leaves her jar and runs to town and says, come and see, can this be the Christ? Now, quick thought, why does she leave her water jar? On the one hand, it might not really mean a whole lot. She might just be in a hurry. But Jesus, or John, rather, wants to tell us she left her water jar. What do you think, Elijah? Uh, That is actually one of the proposed theories. Jesus, up to this point, still hasn't gotten a drink of water. So, least she could do is leave the water jar so we can actually get the drink he's been waiting for this whole time. Which is another example of Jesus doing evangelism. He put her needs way above his needs, didn't he? Or John could be tipping us off to something symbolic here, which is that he just said, go get living water, and she's abandoned her old source for water to go tell people about living water, to go say, come and see what I've just seen. Okay? Interesting point. So then Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. We'll fast forward through this. Talks about food. I think Jesus is referring to Deuteronomy 8.3 when he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. His food is to obey God and do what God wants. He talks about how the fields are white with harvest. So when grain grows up, when grain and wheat grow up, you know, the tops of them, they turn white when it's time to cut them down and harvest them. So he's saying... Spiritually, there's people who are ready to come into the kingdom. Go get them. And here's the ending. The ending is that the Samaritans come out and and they believe in Jesus. But first they said, I believed because of what the woman told us. But now that I've talked to Jesus, now that I've heard Jesus, I have believed because of what he has said. He is indeed the savior of the world. So we're out of time. So one thought here. We began by examining Jesus' evangelistic skills, but as, ma- as amazing as those are, as amazing as Jesus is able to interact with this woman, we must keep in mind that in this story, we are the woman. If we, if we take John 4 and all we say is, here's how to do evangelism, we've missed something huge. What we want to do is look at this and say, Jesus Give me that living water, right? We should say, we are the ones who are like the woman who when Jesus offers us something, we distance ourselves from him. And we say, how can you ask me that about my life, Jesus? And yet we're the ones like the woman who are pursued by Jesus. Who have a, he has a divine appointment with us. We're the ones who Jesus offers living water. We can have God's spirit in us. We're the ones who need Jesus to take his finger and put it on that part of our life that hurts and say, go call your husband. Tell me about this thing. We need him to do that in our hearts. We need the one who already knows everything we ever did and still offers us living waters knowing that we everything we already did. 
And we need to be like those who leave our old water jars and go and tell others. Come and see this man. We need to be people who, it's such a life-changing, amazing event for us. We have to go and say, you have to get to know Jesus. And when we do that, we ought to be people who long to hear that people say, I believed when you told me about your relationship with Jesus, but now that I've met Jesus, I have found that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray towards that end. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be people who receive the living water that you offer, your spirit within us, welling up to our eternal life. Pray that through us, people would hear, that we'd be able to say, come and see the one who told me everything I ever did and still offered me the living water, knowing what a wretch and sinner I am. We pray that we would have the joy of hearing people say, I believed when I heard you, but now that I really know Jesus and have listened to his word, I have found him to be the savior of the world. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.